Money. So you see a lot of, you know, lower, and, and that's really a class issue, and, and race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR, 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. So we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And we're kicking off the show talking about the kick down on Wall Street. Um, the DOJ has, the, well, has made an announcement from uh, about these new policies that will supposedly crack down on the criminal activity that's been going on in Wall Street. So I'm going to throw it over to Alyssa. And then we have a very special guest on the line that we'll get to. All right, guys. So let's let's take it back a minute. Let's step into the time machine and let's go back to 2008 because I think that's really where I want to start here. Uh, so if you don't remember, um, then maybe you were living under a rock or maybe you were just too young or not paying attention. I don't know. But back in 2008... Um, Around, I want to say, the summer, we started to feel like there might be some instability in the stock market. And some of these, what we'll call bubbles, uh, were starting to seem like they were about to come to a bursting point, so to speak. Um, people started to get really concerned, but then they said, oh, it's the market, it will even out. Um, but what we didn't really know is that there was something really toxic brewing underneath the surface. And this surface, sorry. And this all culminated in September of 2008, where all of a sudden, overnight, we realized that there was a big problem. Um, and all these banks started to realize that they didn't have any money to open in the morning because they had made some really risky, risky bets um, and done some really dirty, dirty deeds when it came to mortgages. And what eventually happened was at the last minute, some of these banks had to find other banks to bail them out. For example, Merrill Lynch was bought out by Bank of America. And now that's why Bank of America has Merrill Lynch Edge as part of the bank. Um, and other banks uh, asked for a bailout. They didn't get one. Um, and they couldn't get anybody to buy them out. They ended up going under. Example of that would be Lehman Brothers, uh, which did not open up after that. Um, following the Lehman Brothers, you know, last minute try to save themselves, the government realized that, wait, a lot of these banks are going to go under. And that's where we had uh, what's known as TARP or the bailout, where the government actually had to step in and say, wait, we have to prop these banks up. We have to bail them out because if we don't, the entire economy of the entire world could potentially collapse. Uh, following this, we saw very, very few prosecutions of any of the people who had engaged in any of this, so to speak, wrongdoing. Um, one of the banks that was prosecuted was actually a really tiny bank in Chinatown known as Abacus Bank. Um, and they were prosecuted actually not by the feds, but by the district attorney's office in Manhattan. They were actually a really small bank. And there was a few other people that got prosecuted for insider trading. But over and above everything, what we saw was a situation where these banks were too big to fail and too big to jail. And so basically, nothing happened. And then eventually, the government started to say, okay, we're going to go after these banks, but we're not necessarily going to go after the individuals. We are going to go after these banks on the whole, and we are going to grant them what's known as deferred prosecution agreements, um, where they are going to pay really, really large fines, and they're going to say, we're really sorry, and we promise we're not going to do this ever again. And they're not going to turn over any individual actors that did any wrongdoing. Um, they're just going to turn over a lot of money to the government. 
And that's exactly what happened. Um, and nobody went to jail, or very few people went to jail, I should say. Um, and for example, I know some guy named Raj. He went to jail for insider trading. You saw Martha. Did you know him? No. No, oh. I'm saying Martha Stewart was another person who went to jail for insider trading. You had this mm-hmm. prosecution of this small bank in Chinatown, as I pointed out. But the big banks, they extracted large fines and they basically got a nice little slap on the wrist. Um, fast forward to today. Um, and even before today, people are getting really mad and saying, you know, why didn't the DOJ go after these big right. banks? Why was nobody prosecuted? You hear, you know, calls from Occupy Wall Street to jail the bankers, X, Y, Z. Um, and last week, the Department of Justice or the DOJ, as I'll be referring to it throughout the segment, came out and they said, we are issuing this memorandum about how we are going to go after Wall Street bankers for wrongdoings. Um, And of course, the reaction to that on one hand was like, finally. And on the other hand was like, yeah, but are they really actually going to do it? You know, is this have any teeth? Does it actually mean anything? Um, And then further, you know, even if they do go after these, can they secure convictions? Uh, So um, with that being said, I'm going to introduce our great guest that we have today on with us. His name is Brandon Garrett. He's a professor of law at the University of Virginia Law School, and he is also the author of Too Big to Jail, How Prosecutors Compromise with Corporations. Good morning, Brandon. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. Thanks for being here. Thank you. So um, before we actually get into asking you any questions, I just wanted you, I know you heard my introduction, I wanted you to see if uh, anything in there that I said was incorrect, and if so, um, please correct me, and if not, um, you know, then we'll just go forward and I'll ask you, you know, why is it? Uh, you know, we'll just start there. Um, why is it that these corporations are too big to jail? They were the voice of Harlem, but the real crime wave is obviously oh. at the other end of the aisle. Uh, hello? Uh, Brandon, are you, st- Brandon, are you still there? I'm, I haven't changed anything. Check that out. I'm going to look into that. Um, all right. So, you know, we're going to come back to that. We're going to try and solve that technical difficulty with uh, Mr. Garrett. Um, in the meantime, I'll just give you some background in that, um, you know, obviously, as I had already mentioned, nobody went to jail after this. And so now we have this memorandum and we have a lot of people that are, are really skeptical about whether the DOJ can do something. Right. Um, and I do want to have Brandon get in to answer this once we get him back on the line and we solve whatever technical issue we are having. Um, but part of what's so hard about going after these big banks is that um, under the current existing laws, sometimes even when they do go after them, it can be very hard to prove what they're doing is actually illegal. Right. And I mean, with a huge corporation, it must be difficult. And we can ask Brandon as well. It must be difficult to decipher who is responsible. You know, there's so many people involved. Who's responsible versus who is just like a rank and file employee following you know, right. Orders. And and also, and something Jackie and I were talking about off the air is this idea of the CEO of going to jail in, in some circumstances. Or the VP. The VP. We don't want to get in a situation where the bank just designates somebody who's going to be the fall guy, so to speak, that they're going to just say, OK, we're going to pick this person and this person's going to be the person to go to jail. Um, and so if and when something happens and we get prosecuted, we're just going to turn over this person who's been predetermined as the person who's going to go to jail instead of the actual person who did the wrongdoing. Right. The actual or the actual CEO of the corporation who's. Yeah, who's no, involved. definitely. Um, so it, it's interesting. And then we, we had talked a little bit about, you know, 
what is the purpose of <laughs> going to jail? And, you know, it's I read an article that said we'd all love to see these guys do a perp walk, right? We'd all love to see these big CEOs getting taken out in handcuffs the way that, you know, sort of the Occupy Wall Street movement envisioned that that's how that would result. But ultimately, is that going to be I mean, you know, are they going to go to like extended sleepaway camp for this like super low max right or low you know and then later on in the um in this conversation now i think we have brandon back on but later on in the conversation we'll also sort of talk about this disparity between street crime and street criminals and sort of the institutionalized racism that we see with respect to mass incarceration and the war on drugs um as compared in contrast to what we see on wall street where you know largely these people are not necessarily operating out of necessity, they're operating out of greed, and they're also not facing the severe uh, consequences like people are who are getting caught up in the war on drugs. On that note, I'm hoping that we now have Brandon back on. Brandon. Hi. Uh, Yay, there we go. We have Morning. You. All right, good. So we'll go back to the beginning, and I will ask you to correct anything that sure. I may have said that was incorrect, and then to start off just answering this general question of why it's so hard to go after these banks under the existing laws. Well, you all may remember last summer, Eric Holder, when he was still attorney general, gave a speech where he said, there is no such thing as too big to jail. No bank is above the law. And so I thought about canceling my book right there, because clearly I was talking about an imaginary problem. Uh, now, I, I, the, corporations really are much more accountable under the criminal law in the U.S. than in any other country. And that's a good thing. So you, you, people have seen that you know, the banks have been paying multi-billion dollar fines, big penalties. The Department of Justice has been sort of chestnumping over that. They're paying bigger fines than anyone has ever seen before. But critics like me have been complaining that that's not, that doesn't answer the too-big-to-jail problem because there were, there were bankers, there were individual people who committed those crimes. A company can only be prosecuted if employees and officers did crimes. And when banks are prosecuted, it's only about half the time that any employees are even charged. And when they are charged, it's only about half the time that any of them receive any kind of a jail sentence. And that's, that is not, those are not typical outcomes for federal criminal cases. And so the question is, you know, are banks effectively protecting their employees uh, from, from accountability for crimes that almost brought down the world account, economy? Uh, plus there's the concern that when banks are prosecuted, we've seen some big bank prosecutions over the last few years. But they haven't been for anything related to the financial crisis. Right. right. They've been some insider trading cases, singing international currency rates like the LIBOR and the Forex, which was serious conduct. Uh, but, but for the really the stuff that has really troubled us, uh, especially the mortgage fraud related conduct uh, that, that brought on the financial crisis, banks have settled their cases out of court and not in criminal cases, in civil cases. And so I, I guess people like me were happy that the Department of Justice announced changes this last week. They say that they are now going to be focusing on individual conduct and focusing their criminal cases on what people committed the crimes. But, of course, that raises the question, really? That wasn't obvious all along? That wasn't <laughs> what you were doing? Right. Uh, you weren't, you, normally, if a criminal comes forward and says, look, uh, some guys committed a crime. I'm not going to tell you who they were. But I, I promise, you know, there, there are some people that committed crimes. A prosecutor would say, well, you have to tell us who did what. Otherwise... Otherwise, you're obstructing justice. And that's, that's what corporations have been able to get away with in, in far too many cases. 
Right. Now, and, and that's an interesting point, because a lot of people have said to me when I've raised this topic that, oh, the, well, the Department of Justice doesn't prosecute white collar crime. And I actually did some federal criminal defense. I worked for a criminal CJA lawyer, which is essentially a signed counsel plan for federal criminal cases. Um, that was back when I was first out of law school. And the DOJ actually does prosecute white collar criminals. Like, for example, um, we I saw a prosecution of a medical facility that was cons- uh that was committing large-scale uh, Medicaid and Medicare fraud, uh, billing oh, yeah. billing the government for treatment that never happened for people that they never saw, and they went after them. And you know, I saw the, the, gover- the government is quick to step in when it's its own money that's being taken, of course. Right, right, and and so I think we should dispel the myth that there's no white-collar prosecutions. The DOJ isn't just prosecuting war on drugs crimes; they are, in fact, prosecuting white-collar crimes. But we don't see that as much on Wall Street, and that leads me to the next point, which is. Some some people have said that um, it's very hard to prosecute Wall Street because whether what they determining whether or not they've actually committed a crime is hard. So I was hoping that uh, you could address that, yeah. pro- Professor Garrett, about why it is under our current criminal laws, federal criminal laws, it's very it's a very gray area as to whether the things that they're doing are actually illegal. Well, it depends which things. And so let me let me give an example of one of the biggest bank prosecutions in recent years, which led to a lot of criticism including criticism using the phrase too big to jail, which made me happy since that's the title of my book. I want people to understand the importance of that phrase. Uh, But HSBC is a major bank centered in the U.K. now. It used to be centered in Hong Kong. HSBC was caught engaging in some of the worst money laundering conduct anyone has ever seen. And so maybe people have a hard time understanding exactly how some derivative and mortgage-backed securitization works. But this this was clear criminal conduct. Money was making its way through HSBC's subsidiaries all around the world to the biggest drug cartels in Mexico. They were apparently designing their cash boxes to fit through the teller windows, the exact size of the teller windows that HSBC had in Mexico, because that was the place to dump your cash if you were a drug kingpin in Mexico. Their money was making its way to all the regimes around the world that face U.S. sanctions. So North Korea, Burma, Sudan, uh, money was making its way to banks connected with terrorism in the Middle East. Basically, all the places money was not is never supposed to go, money was going through HSBC to the most dangerous people and groups in the world. And no one had ever seen a scandal of this size before. Just incredibly serious. And there, there are hearings that Senator Carl Evan held in the U.S. Senate. He ran the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. And they, they got over a million pages of documents. They produced a detailed report describing how there were people at HSBC who knew this was happening compliance officers who are complaining, saying, we can't do our job. You're giving us a few dozen people to, to attack money laundering around the world. It, it's happening at our bank, and then we're just, we, we can't do our job. This is, this is dangerous. This is disastrous. And the response tended to be, be quiet, you're fired. Mm. And so what, what happened when all this, really because of the Senate committee's work, when all this came to light? Well, the Eastern District of New York, uh, then ran, run by Loretta Lynch, Mm. entered into a non-prosecution type agreement with HSBC. It was a deferred prosecution where there would be no criminal charges filed against HSBC. If they cooperated, uh, they paid their fine on time. They did pay over $2 billion in fines. If they agreed to monitoring for five years, then there would be no criminal charges, no criminal record. Now, those kind of deals happen every day in courtrooms in New York City. But those are for people who are first-time offenders, juveniles, the types of people who don't deserve a criminal record. Right. You know, show good conduct, stay clean for a year, and, and we'll, we'll dismiss the charges. For this to happen in the biggest money laundering case of all time, 
was remarkable. But you could say, well, look, that's just the bank. All the bank can really do is pay a fine. It can't go to jail. Literally, it can't go to jail. And the bank agreed to cooperate in any investigations of its employees. So you figure, okay, you, you get the bank to cooperate. It's an amazing snitch. It can give you all the emails, all the documents. But what happened in that case is that not a single employee was charged. Not, not low level, not high level, not in between. And so you had people on both sides on the Hill, Senator Warren, Senator Grassley on the Republican side, saying, has this bank been given a, a get-out-of-jail-free card? This is too big to jail. Not a single employee was charged when they admitted that there were crimes. The bank admitted that there were crimes. Well, someone committed them. Why has no one been charged? Absolutely, absolutely. On that note, we are actually going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Professor Garrett. And we will take some phone calls if you have any questions or if you have a comment. Our number is 212-650-6903. On that note, we are going to go to break. And when we come back, we will continue this conversation. Get up on my trap house. I've been selling since like the fifth grade. Really never made no difference with this made. That told me flip them packs and how to maintain Get that money back and spend it on the same thing Shorty like the way that I ball out I be getting money time for and we are back. Good morning. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio. I'm Alyssa Fuchs. I'm here with Selena Hill and Jackie Cohn and our great professor of law, Mr. Brandon Garrett from the University of Virginia Law School. We are talking about why banks are too big to jail and the financial crisis. And we're talking about this new memorandum that the Department of Justice put out last week um, about how they are now going to focus on going after the banks. And that's actually what I want to get into talking about right now um, with the professor. So, uh, professor, the law has not changed. Um, you know, there's been no legislative action in Washington, D.C. There's been no new criminal laws passed to deal with these problems, at least as of yet. Um, but yet this memorandum comes out and essentially it is the high ranking officials at the Department of Justice saying we are now going to focus on this. Um, you know, of course, better late than never, as I would say. But, um, you know, the law hasn't changed. So what changes can we expect from the Department of Justice? Uh, Sorry, with from the Department of Justice following this memo, and I know Jackie wanted to sort of piggyback onto that question as well. Yeah, and I I want to know, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical, um, and I want to know if I, as a you know liberal um, economic liberal, I, I would love to see these people that have committed these crimes sort of go off to jail and get what they deserve. I guess right, but ultimately. Is this going to do anything? Is this going to systemically fix anything? Or are corporations going to figure out a way to work around these laws and, um, you know, just be more deceitful and sneaky? Professor? Well, one, one, one this initial thing, this memo does, isn't about banks in particular. It just says any type of corporation that's being prosecuted, prosecutors should be asking the company early on to tell them who did what and to provide all the evidence about the actual people who committed crimes. And you think, well, that should have been obvious all along. Is that that's a change? They were just letting companies pay pay fines before without saying who actually committed the crimes. Um, I, I'm guessing that actually, you know, in the past, companies were asked to say who did what, and we know that they were. So I, you know, I'm not even sure how much this is actually a change. Um, it, it may just be to remind prosecutors that you can't be letting the individuals off the hook, and that. Corporate cooperation means real cooperation. Tell us who actually committed the crimes and show us how it really happened. Uh, you know, I, I think that this memo is at best a change in tone. At least it's a good change of tone. At least the Department of Justice is sort of starting to hear the critics who are concerned that they're letting individuals off the hook. Um, but I don't think it's going to make it any easier, though, 
to hold the higher ups accountable because one concern is, okay, well, you know, what if the company, the bank, throws a few low-level people under the bus? In a speech that the uh, Deputy Attorney General Yates gave at NYU the other day, she said, you know, we obviously don't feel like we've done our job well if all that happens is we, we jail the vice president in charge of going to jail, right, the, the fall guy. Um, and you see some of these cases where low-level people get charged, and they say, well, why me? There's like a thousand other people all doing the exact same thing. And so they get, you know, they get some probation sentence or something like that. And maybe that's the fair thing because they weren't the ones really in charge. Professor, I have a question. Um, and guys, if you guys have questions, again, you can call in. The number is 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at beheard underscore radio. So um, I wanted to ask why the DOJ made this announcement now. Um, you know, yeah. Loretta Lynch is our new attorney general. And, you know, she and she's starting off, in my opinion, she's starting off her term very well, very strong. And the thing is, the DOJ has been going um, has received a lot of criticism, especially under the Obama administration, when it comes to just giving slaps on the wrist to these Wall Street executives and the individuals behind this corruption. So do you think that this is just a response or, you know, is there any relevance? Um, um, is there any significance to why um, they made this announcement now? Well, I, I actually think this announcement was in the works before Loretta Lynch took over. Uh, last year, we started to hear in some of the speeches that DOJ officials were giving that, uh, you know, look, we hear the critics. And from now on, we want to make sure the companies know that they're not going to get credit for cooperating unless they really cooperate and tell us about the individuals who committed the crimes. And, and the, the white-collar lawyers that I talked to, they said that they've, they were basically getting that message in the cases that they were working on, you know, by even, even in the middle or early part of last year. So in some ways, this memo, they were already doing this informally, testing it out. Hopefully, plenty of prosecutors have been doing it all along. But I do think that... It's not just this memo. The department has started to reconsider some of these lenient policies towards corporations. And we shouldn't pin it all on Obama. This all began with a memo that was written in the Clinton administration by Eric Holder. Right. The deferred prosecution out-of-court type approach to corporate cases really got cemented in 2003 under the W. Bush administration. So it's been multiple administrations that have been going in this direction, treating corporations more leniently. We're starting to see a reaction to it, and not just about cooperation in individual cases, but... They're starting to insist that banks plead guilty and have a criminal record. And so some of the biggest cases this last year didn't get settled with these out-of-court deals. So banks are starting to be, including big Wall Street banks, they're starting to have to plead guilty, and they're getting convictions. And so I'm glad to see that a whole bunch of aspects of this too-big-to-jail problem are starting to get addressed by the Department of Justice. And I think it's only because of critics, it's only because of the public pressure that anything is changing. Right. No, I, I understand. I mean, but what's actually the practical effect, other than a fine, of a bank getting a conviction? When a person gets convicted of a misdemeanor or a felony, they go to jail or they serve community service or yeah. they have to pay a fine and then they have a criminal record. They have to check a box if they want to apply for a job. A lot of times that can sometimes keeps them out of a job. An ad yep. issue we've addressed at length here on Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio and other aspects. So there are actually consequences um, and also collateral consequences of a individual taking a plea or getting convicted at trial, what is the consequence of a bank taking a plea or getting convicted of trial of a criminal offense, considering the fact that a bank is not an individual, it is a corporate entity, so to speak? Well, having a criminal record actually can be very serious for a company, so I'm glad they're starting to get criminal records. We've had banks that have actually settled multiple prosecutions in recent years, banks that have been prosecuted two or three times. And for individuals, that would mean you're a recidivist. Right, you're going to get a much more serious sentence the second time around, the third time around.
that's the number one way to get your sentence, you know, in the stratosphere in federal court. Uh, but these banks could say, look, we're not recidivists. We don't have criminal records. The last case was a deferred prosecution agreement. The case before that was a non-prosecution agreement. And so they can't get sentenced as recidivists. And they, and they can't be accused of breaching probation, which also for individuals, that's a big, big deal. You commit right. another crime while you're on probation. Banks can say, hey, we weren't on probation. We just had a deferred prosecution agreement. That's a great point. But, but it's also the collateral, you, you mentioned collateral consequences, which is such an important topic for individuals where you, know, you can't get a job, you can't be in public housing. There are all these consequences that kick in when you have a conviction. Well, banks have been saying for years, oh, you can't convict us because of the collateral consequences. We could have our charters revoked. We could lose the ability to work with, with public companies. Uh, we could, you know, for, for pharmaceutical companies, we could lose the ability to work with Medicaid for arms contractors, we could lose the ability to contract with the federal government. You know, we, the fine is no big deal. We don't care about the fine. What we're worried about is the collateral consequence, being suspended or debarred as a company. Right. And, and prosecutors have been very, very sensitive to that in a way that they're not when it's an individual person losing their individual job or their housing or their welfare benefits or their entire family's housing. Uh, this is the one area where prosecutors are really sensitive about collateral consequences. Right, and which is bank. so interesting. It leads into the larger conversation that we're going to have about the um, the differences between, you know, people who get prosecuted uh, for white-collar crimes, so to speak, and people who get prosecuted for street crimes. I know that you're going to have to get off soon, uh, Mr. Garrett. So I wanted to ask, I guess, uh, one or two quick more questions before you have to go, which is um, one of them is just a follow-up about this collateral consequences. I mean, how, is this part of that response to when people say, you know, when we go after these big corporations, that affects people on Main Street, right? So if I work for ExxonMobil and ExxonMobil gets a huge, uh, you know, gets a criminal prosecution, now they have to lay people off. That affects my job. And so is that one of the things that you're talking about when you talk about why the government has been so uh, in tune with the collateral consequences against corporations? And is that actually true? Like people really do get laid off or companies start to fail people who have invested in those companies in their 401ks and stuff like that end up feeling those collateral consequences? Is there actual, you know, some some evidence to substantiate that argument? Oh, yeah. And that's absolutely what companies say. They say, look, if, if by punishing us, you're not punishing the people who did the crimes. You're punishing innocent shareholders, employees. This whole approach really kicked off after Arthur Anderson went under and tens of thousands of employees lost their jobs. And People said, well, wait a minute, you know, there was a big group at Arthur Anderson that was working with Enron, and they got, you know, convicted of obstructing justice. The Enron group may have been at fault, but how about all the other employees? They didn't do anything wrong. Why did you destroy the entire accounting firm? And, and sometimes that there's some real merit to that argument. You know, there was a case involving a, bilking the government of Medicaid funds, and it was like a community hospital in North Carolina. And the prosecutors were saying, look, we don't want to, we don't want to close down this community hospital. It's the only hospital in the area. You know, they, they did terrible things. They need to pay big fines and fix things up. But, you know, we don't want to convict them. We don't We don't want this hospital to go under. And so it, it's true not just of banks but of, of you know, local companies where it, it does sometimes make sense to have a more sensitive approach. But if you're going to be sensitive to the company and worry about collateral consequences, then on the flip side, okay, we'll focus on the individuals who actually committed the crimes. And, that, and that's been the problem. We're being lenient to the company. And we're letting individuals go off the hook. And right. that's the worst of all possible. And, and even worse, you know, which I'll address after, is the idea that we're not 
taking into account collateral consequences when we put somebody in jail for, yeah. say, selling a small amount of drugs on their family and their yeah, we, livelihood. Um, but I do know yeah, we, that... We, we, need, we need to fair prosecutions for individual people, not for companies. Absolutely. I do know that you have to get off with us, so I was hoping to just, you know, wrap it up, give us some some, our listeners some information on how they can get in touch with you, and also maybe in doing that, sort of address whether or not any new laws would actually help us and, and what the possibility of if Congress actually passing any new laws um, or whether it wouldn't make any sense because we already have all the resources, all the laws we need on the books. Uh, they just need yeah. to do a better job. So I was hoping you could address that as a final question and then tell our listeners how they can uh, find out more and get a copy of your book, et cetera. Sure. Well, I really think, you know, the, the pressure from, from your listeners, from all of us, that's the only reason why anything has changed in the past year or two, but I think we could use new legislation from the Hill. There are a lot of things that we could do to hold corporations more accountable for the most serious crimes. Uh, I kind of think corporate crime is far more serious than the petty crime that lands people years and years in jail. We need to switch our prosecution priorities in this country. My book is called Too Big to Jail, and you could buy it and read it if you'd like. If you'd like to read about some of these cases without buying the book, I keep a website at the University of Virginia Law School Library where I have a huge resource page, archives of all these uh, corporate prosecution agreements. So you can look up your favorite company and read how they got prosecuted <laughs> and just read through the agreements if you'd like. Um, but, but more important, I do think, is to speak out, write op-eds, write to your congressperson, write to your senator, and say, you know, we want, I really think even more important than changing the law, because we do have really tough criminal laws in this country, like you said, is getting more resources for these prosecutors. You know, these, these banks these, and major corporations, they, they hire entire law firms to defend themselves. They, will, they can routinely spend, you know, when the German company Siemens was prosecuted, they spent $800 million investigating themselves and preparing their defense and preparing to cooperate with prosecutors to resolve the case. Hundreds of millions of dollars in their defense. The prosecutors may have been lucky if they had two prosecutors assigned to the case, maybe an investigator or two. And so there's just no... We, we need serious corporate crime strike forces in this country, but that would take money from Congress. Right. Brandon Garrett, thank you so much again for calling in. We definitely enjoyed all your expertise and commentary. And I know Alyssa has some final words for us on this topic. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely have some final thoughts. And, you know, hopefully we'll get some of your final thoughts as well um, before we go to our break and go into our news roundup. But, um, you know, there's one thing I really wanted to get into talking about, at least in this last three or four minutes that we have, is the disparity between uh, corporate crime and between non-corporate crime. Because, you know... When, as um, our guest rightly pointed out, the collateral consequences in these types of things are great. So when a bank is going to get, or a corporation, because I don't want to just say bank, it's it's banks and other corporations is going to get prosecuted, they automatically, the first thing they do is cry collateral consequences. I'm going to have to lay off all these employees. I'm going to have, you know, our stock is going to fall. That's going to affect our shareholders and, and on and on and on and on. And yet... We don't have that conversation when we're talking about, uh, you know, street crime. So for if somebody is committing large scale fraud working for a corporation or a bank out of what I will call street greed, not even necessity, because they have lots of money um, and then they cry collateral consequences and no individuals get prosecuted. Um, But when 
somebody, let's say, is poor and they don't have a lot of options and maybe they have a criminal record already from when they're younger, you know, and so now they get into this bad cycle. And so they decide, okay, I'm going to sell some drugs because that is an easy way for me to make money. And they sell a small amount of drugs to somebody um, and then they are getting prosecuted. Um, They're going to go to jail. That is going to have collateral consequences on them and also on their families. But we don't take those into account or prosecutors don't take those into account. And we see this large disparity where we feel almost as if we have two separate criminal justice systems. We have one criminal justice system for people who have money, and we have another criminal justice system for people who do not have money. And as I've mentioned numerous times before on this show, um, while not necessarily the same issue, but interconnected is the issue of race and class. So I was hoping to get your opinions on that, guys. I'm going to open it up to you or to Jackie. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before I close it out and we go to break? Well, so I mean, my the question that I'm left with is if we're starting to prosecute individuals for these crimes, not the um, corporation as a whole, but the individuals. I mean, you mentioned that there is there are collateral consequences when prosecuting an individual person for whatever crime they may have committed but um corporations as we learned tend to use that as the reason why not to prosecute right because people lose their jobs it will affect all these people that had were no way implicated in the crime but does and i'll ask you does uh prosecuting the individuals the ceos of these corporations um does that mitigate or help mitigate those collateral consequences to an extent. You know, I, th- I think so, or I'd hope so, because the idea is that we're not going after the corporation here, that their stock is not going to take a dive. They're not necessarily going to have to lay people off because we're just going after the individual bad actor right. at that corporation. My concern is, and as our guest pointed out, and as you've mentioned, that we don't want to have somebody who's the fall guy, who's just the vice president of going to jail, who if something goes wrong, they're like, oh, this is the guy. So anyways, on that note, you know, my hope is that this memorandum will have some teeth. Um, but, you know, I'm also concerned that the laws we have on the books are not good enough to go after the types of corporate crime that we see occurring in today's world. And really, the ultimate goal is to get Congress and the legislatures uh, to pass better laws in order to deal with this issue. The problem is, as we know, politicians are largely in the pockets of corporations due to the fact that they fund their campaigns. And mm-hmm. so the likelihood of these types of laws being passed is slim to none, in my opinion. Um, uh, as our guest rightly pointed out, the best thing that we can do in this situation is to contact our representatives and tell them that we care about this issue and that we want to see better laws passed in order for these people to be held accountable for their actions. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to go right into the news roundup, and then we're going to talk about the government shutdown and food insecurity. 